Episode 31 of Run Talk SA. Welcome to the show. I'm Simon Parkinson, and on the other end of the microphone, as per usual, is Mr. Brad Brown. How's it, Brad? Yeah, very good, Parky. Back in the land of the living after my weekend in East London for Ironman 70.3. Uh, so yeah, back to back to the grindstone and 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 back to to putting all these things together. Well, even though this is not a triathlete or triathlon type podcast, let's quickly hear how your half Ironman went. Give us a quick rundown. Swim, bike, run, and total time, please. Yeah, Parky, it was cool. I mean, I went in very underdone. Uh, I did a, I think I did about a 40-minute 40, 40 swim. Uh, the bike was really hard. I did a 3.27, I think, and then I uh, ran a 2.23 half marathon off the back of that. So, uh, yeah, I'm pretty chuffed. I, I had a picnic in each of the transitions, so my transitions were the longest in living memory. But uh, other than that, it was a, a pretty good day out. And the weather not too bad down in East London, or did you get a bit of rain? We did get a bit of rain, Parky, but it was actually, I mean, on the bike it started to come down, and, and it, was, it was really windy on the bike. But the cool thing with the run is, you know, like you get those mist tents on, on some of the big races, where you've got that fine mist that just you run through it and cools you down? Yep. The first half of the run was like that. So it's cooling oh, you down, but you're not getting wet. It was fantastic. No, that's brilliant. All right, now listen, let's just have a look at what's on the show this week. There are uh, a number of topics that we're going to be discussing. You may remember if you listened to us last week that we discussed the race organization, uh, both from a sponsor point of view and from an organizer's point of view, and most importantly from a runner's point of view. And we, I suppose, waxed on lyrical about um, some of the races which weren't organized as well as they should be. Uh, we gave two examples. We talked about the Discam, which was incredibly well organized. And then we were reflected on the Bobby's race, which uh, unfortunately was a bit of a disaster. We've had some feedback, and Brad will be telling you about that. And we've also got uh, a gentleman who's been on both sides of the fence, and uh, he's got some interesting perspectives as well. Yeah, Parky, that's right. Rowan, Rowan was a race organizer for one of the big ultra marathons. He used to be race race director for the Two Oceans, and he's also worked in sponsorship. So uh, he was uh, involved in a big corporate that that used to sign off sponsorship deals for races. So he's got a, a really interesting insight. We chat to him this week as well. And also, you, you mentioned Bobby's, and, and we we gave them a bit of stick last week. I'll be honest. As far as the entry process, uh, I got a, a statement in from the organizers, from Dion Ealis, uh, and it's up on our website. You can go check it out. And yeah. They're taking it squarely on the chin. They, they realize they, they've made a, a couple of mistakes in, in, in the entry process, but they know where they've, they've, they've made the mistake, and hopefully they can rectify that next year. But, yeah, interesting, Parky. Again, this weekend, I was down in East London, lots of guys tweeting what was happening, races uh, around the country, and there were a couple of horror stories again yesterday. So we really need to sort this out, and hopefully by us talking about it, gets runners thinking about it, and we can actually get this thing done properly. Especially when we have, in South Africa, uh, possibly some of the best weather conditions for runners. Uh, we have a number of events in this country, and they've got a lot of history. Uh, a lot of the runs that we go on week in, week out, uh, have been happening for as long as a decade, if not two, in many instances. So, um, yeah, there's obviously more and more people taking up the sport, more and more pressure to get people at the start at the right time. And, of course, with the roads and more people having cars, uh, there's congestion. So... You don't want to be frustrated on a Saturday or a Sunday morning at 4.30 in the morning. Uh, you want to be able to mosey on down to a race in good time, have your number, uh, settle in, and uh, and prepare for what hopefully will be a good good day out for a half or, or even a marathon. Yeah, absolutely. Parky, but let's get straight into this week's show, and we kick things off with our first interview. Catching up with uh, Laurie Lewis from Rudaport Athletic Club. Uh, just chatting, comrades, and shooting the breeze, and... 
Harry, your, your story you, you just shared with me, and, and I, I'd, I'd love to share with my listeners. I mean, your, your journey to Comrades, it's, I mean, especially last year, a really touching story. Share, share that story with me about, about your son and, and the gap that you took and then running again last year. It's, uh, it's one of those emotional stories that, are, you know, you, you, you live with the, the tra- tragedy, you, you cope with it, but you miss so much. And I thought this year would, would be special because my son Chad, at the age of 16, uh, died tragically in an accident the night before Comrades in 2006. And from, from his death until now, I, I haven't run a Comrades and I, uh, I didn't want to. But, you know, we always discussed he was, you know, dad was his hero. And he always wanted to do comrades with me. And I said to him, you know, when you're 20, you train for two years. When you're 23, it's about the right age. So he, he would have been 23 uh, last year, March. So um, I decided uh, that I'd dedicate it to him and uh, started something. And the club supported me, even Gold Reef and a couple of other clubs. We had red caps made with Fort uh, Chad, comrades 2014. And it really gave me a lot of motivation to sort of say, I'm not doing it for me, I'm doing it with my son. And, Decided that year, as some people thought it may, may be a bit of a, a strange, weird story, uh, I was going to run with him and I uh, still had his ashes and I, I took some of the ashes because I don't know if you've ever had uh, a human ashes, they're heavy. Um, <laughs> you don't want to carry that form. You know, you know, <laughs> it's, it's hard enough taking yourself. <laughs> and um, you know, it was one of those comrades being the toughest one, one for 40 years. Uh, I just didn't have any problems, but knowing he was with me all the time, and I, I was talking to him, he'd think we're nuts, but you know, tell him, let's go, it's your turn to pull me up this hill. And, uh, we had an awesome run, and uh, you know, it, it was just a coincidence that uh, I managed to finish with a, a legend of the race who shared some of the, you know, he was running for different emotions and, and in different memories. And um, We finished that race, and at the end of the race, um, uh, you know, it was a chapter of my life and a, another page, I suppose, that you close. And, I took the ashes that I had and uh, my wife and, and some of my family friends and Conrad from Rudapur to close uh, to us in New Chad and I, my wife brought helium balloons down which was a bit of a nightmare uh, I think they stressed more about the helium balloons with that, with that bird wind <laughs> um, and let the balloons go and they end up in Mauritius but um, it, was, it was incredible because after the official cutoff, um, went back onto the finish line and Chad and I finished comments and I touched the ashes and as I, as I shared with you earlier, that, uh, even that little handful of ashes was too heavy for the helium, so I had to put some back in the bigger box and let them go. And it was the lights of that stadium, just this thing, there was no wind, there wasn't even a breeze, and it just disappeared. And when the lights, when it got beyond the lights, it was just darkness and the chapter closed. And you know, obviously, uh, it may be eight years now that he's gone. Uh, we finished comrades together, and uh, I, uh, like, like any adult or you know, sobbed your eyes out for that motion, but I think it, the peace that I got from that, and you know, I promised my family it was my last moment, but um, promises are there to be broken, um, and it was such an awesome experience. Like, I'm going back now, but this year I'm going to help others who maybe just didn't finish, or didn't get any sort of encouragement. I think it's just, you know, if, if I, re- I also ran with little tokens from other people who had lost children, and I think every year what I want to do while I can still run, you know, I'm 59 now, um, hopefully my body will last it out, is to run for people who have lost loved ones, in particular children, because I think uh, anybody who's lost a child will know um, it's, it's going to be with you for the rest of your life. Yeah. So share whatever you can uh, with your, your, your children that you've lost, share it, they're there with you. 
and I think they uh, they give you that strength. And yeah, it's awesome race. I don't think there's anything else in the world. Mm. Nothing could have given me the peace I have now. I mean, that's the amazing thing about comrades. I mean, I, I love talking about it and I love, love comrades' stories and I love hearing stories like yours. I mean, obviously, it's, your journey's been really sad and, and it's been tough getting, getting back to the start line and back to the finish line. But it, everyone's got a story and it's, it's just amazing to hear and, and your, you sharing your story here is, is probably going to help someone else heal and, and get a bit better on, on a journey that they're on. So... I think it's the, one, of the, one of the things, although I didn't run comrades from the, uh, from the, the night uh, that he died until, until last year's, I think one of the most incredible things is, that's given me that peace is my training and everything. And I, I'll go out and I'll talk to him uh, and, and you, know, you share things and you, know, you, you, you shed a tear. You know, you, you're never too old to cry, you're never too yeah. tough to cry, but you know, I think it, it does help. It helps heal what, whatever pain there is. You never get over it. But I think you'd live with it a lot better. And, and I mean, losing a child, I mean, I've got three kids. I, I can't even imagine what that must be like. You know, I never in my life thought that it would happen to us. And I think that's what we've got to learn. And if anybody out there or, or people are sitting thinking and, and they've lost children, they know we take so much for granted. We take our bodies for granted. We take our health for granted. We must actually lo- use that in a positive way and start sort of saying, you know, what can I give back? What can I, how can I help people? Um, you know, and people are welcome. If they want to, they can get on the road report, uh, chat through it. If they've lost children, and get on the road, it mm. helps. It, it soothes you, yeah. and it, you know, you, you tend to find that you, you you run in a marathon, and all of a sudden you've been so far away that you've 21 kilometres, and you realise, oh, where were they? Well, you know, just yeah. it just takes you into another another space. And I think the the, the best thing is the healing that you get. From. You know, you're not expected to, to heal by yourself. And if you don't have friends and runners uh, that, that give you their support, I mean, the club support for this, this drive that I did, just uh, my personal thing, became their personal uh, journey with me, and it was amazing. And again, I mean, I've framed all of those things. I went as far as a colleague at work who has run many commas. You know how valuable a commas medal is. At the end of the race, unbeknown to myself, they'd given my wife a commas medal that, that she had got uh, in a previous uh, race and on the back of it they had engraved dedicated to chair so I got I actually got three medals last year I got that one donated to me I got the one I ran for and I got my back to back although it was done in 88 and 89 I got a back to back medal so it was a, a truly uh, I don't know you know you your hair stands up when yeah. you think about it and you've got to experience it yourself and the people around you experience it with you you know they feel your pain you've just got to be able to to, to share it. Awesome. Thanks yeah. for sharing that story. I, it's, yeah, all the best on the journey to Comrades 2014. Yeah, we'll to, see you on the road. Hope to see you there. Absolutely. Yeah, wonderful. Thanks, man. Take care. As mentioned at the start of the show, lots of feedback after last week's episode of Run Talk SA, episode 30. We were chatting about race organization and who's to blame for things going wrong. Is it the runner? Is it the race organizer? Is it the sponsor? It's an interesting debate, and we've seen that with the response we've been getting. Lots of people uh, throwing some good points around. And I thought we'd get someone on the show this week who's got a bit of experience across all three of those sort of phases so uh it's, it's great to welcome onto the show former race director of the two oceans uh rowan james welcome on to uh, run talk sa thanks for joining us today how's it uh, brad thanks uh, thanks very much for having me and uh, quickly first up just for thanks again to you and parky for an amazing show every week uh, really great servants to the sport of athletics and much appreciated all right appreciate that mate uh, you're in in slab how is the mother city today 
All good, uh, all very well, at least a little bit cooler. We've had incredible heat here, 35 degrees plus for the last three days, so uh, welcome, bit of relief today. Fantastic. Rowan, I, I wanted to touch base with you. Obviously, you come from a, a slightly different angle than, than most of us who've, who've maybe just experienced one aspect, whether it be running or as race director. Uh, I don't think too many of us come, come from or to this debate with, uh, with a sponsor's sort of attitude, but you, you've had experience in all three, three sort of, of those spheres. Well, what was your take on last week's show and, and the points we made on, on the podcast, right? I think, uh, Brad, first up, um, uh, the, the sport from a point of view is not in a bad space. Uh, you know, I'm going to jump around. You know, obviously, you mentioned some things with regard to the Federation being in a mess. Yes, it all is. And uh, uh, I'm glad that you raised the whole thing around uh, race organizing. Good point. And, uh, but I think the important thing for listeners out there, be they participants, organizers, sponsors, whatever, is that... Uh, the sport's still in good shape on uh, on the ground level, so nothing to panic about, no doom and gloom there from uh, that point of view. So I think just jumping on to, if I could, uh, first of all, um, dealing with the sponsorship side of things is that uh, in my in my past life, I was involved in the sponsorship of races through Nike South Africa, being the sports marketing manager there, particularly around uh, sponsorship. And I think key, key for sponsors really, uh, number one is that uh, as you've mentioned, they all want an ROI, return on investment. But I think the very important thing there is that they want a good race, a well-established race, because as you and uh, Parky touched on last week, is that they don't want their brand name to be jeopardized or pulled through the mud, so to speak. And uh, I think you touched on the PwC race, which is an audit company in Pretoria, uh, being a case in point. And uh, very much so, they have a brand to uphold and protect. A race organizer offers them that platform to be able to market that through presenting a road race but at the same time uh, it needs to be a well-organized presented race so that the brand can maximize on the leverage and at the same time their brand doesn't get uh, brand reputation doesn't get damaged so i'm really going to sum it up right up in the beginning and say one thing race organizing sponsorship planning whatever you want to call it it's all about attention to detail it's as simple as that uh, and uh, i think sometimes uh, race organizers me being having one myself yes things do fall through the crack but uh, it's attention to detail that counts. Rowan, it's, it's quite a, I mean, I agree with you, and it's quite a difficult one. I mean, especially, and, and let's not talk the big races like Two Oceans and Comrades, who, who let's be honest, have got, have got real good structures in place. They've got organizing committees and subcommittees and, and that sort of thing that, that handle all of those small details. But the vast majority of running clubs who put on races around the country are, are, are basically being put on by the committee, and those guys aren't full-time members of that committee. They have jobs and, and families and other responsibilities. So it's basically a, a, a part-time thing that they do doing and and it's it's pretty much on a volunteer basis so I'm, I'm not knocking these running clubs i understand where they're coming from but i think for for a sponsor and, and a lot of the clubs are, are are in a situation where they battle to find sponsors for races and they they're up in arms saying oh the sponsors don't want to come to the party but from a race organizer's perspective they have to think exactly that the, the race organizers need to come to the party first essentially and make sure they put on a good race and it is difficult when you're doing it in a part-time capacity do you think it's not worthwhile or or maybe better to get maybe pay slightly more on, on an entry fee to cover the costs but get an eventing company that specializes in something like that and as a as a, a running club and committee you just oversee that thing and it's not too much more expensive it's not going to really impact race uh sort of entry fees too much but you then ensuring that the runners get a great experience on race day Spot on, Brad, and I think you've, uh, you've hit the nail on the head there. Um, I was previously involved in, on the organizing committee of the Deloitte's Pretoria Marathon from 2000 to 2003, and in those days, 
Um, let's let's be honest. In the economic situation, it was a hell of a lot easier to, in, in a way, almost steal time from your company to do what your love and passion was for your club. Um, those times have changed, so you're quite right. Uh, people just don't have the time anymore uh, to be able to go and uh, volunteer their services to uh, organise a local weekend club road race. Uh, from that point of view, so yes, the point that you raise about uh, um, getting a, an events company and definitely one thing that can be done. You touched on it last week. I think the important thing there that it's on the raise is, um, you know, the event companies out there and the event companies out there. You know, there's so many. Uh, that and everybody wants to try and do something. I think the important thing there, as you said, is get somebody who's experienced, who understands the sport as events company, and they are all over the country to do that and make sure that you use those guys. Uh, I'm just going to use it as a cliche. Don't go and use somebody who organizes a road race today and will do a wedding tomorrow uh, from that point of view. So, yes, uh, from that point, definitely a very good point. And I'm glad that you raised the point about entrance fees too. And it's uh, something that you and Parky did chat about last week. Um, we are definitely underselling our sport. And now, before before everyone shoots the sheriff here, it's not about trying to rip people off and make money. It's not about that. I mean, having been in the organizing game, sadly, operational costs are, are crazy at the, in the last couple of years. They, they go up on average 12, 13, 14, 15% plus year on year. Now, um, your entrance fees are certainly not keeping pace with that. And a couple of points I want to raise here is that, uh, in general, um, entrance fees should never make up more than 15% of your race budget. Uh, you rely on sponsorship to do that. Granted, a lot of clubs don't get sponsors, so then they have to fall back onto their race entrance fee. But I think, Brad, where you're coming from there, and you're right, if we go back to the concept of a few years ago where the sport basically worked on one rand for one kilometre. Sadly, those days are over, and unfortunately, a lot of races haven't kept pace with that. Um, and then secondly, what also makes it a little bit awkward, Brad, is that a lot of the race entrance fees around the country are actually set or controlled by the respective provincial body. And that is done through what they call council meetings when the province gets all the representative of every club and then they determine what the, the fee structure is going to be for each race over a determined distance for each year. Um, so in a way, clubs are actually shooting themselves in the foot by doing that, by agreeing to rather silly increases of, say, five rand a year. Uh, year on year, um, whereas uh, let's say 50k, uh, a, a race that's 50 rand, most probably a 10k race these days, and then you put it up to 55 rand. Well, effectively, you're actually just wasting your time by doing that because the operational costs uh, have gone up by 15, 15% plus. Yeah, I mean, we, we mentioned it last week uh, on the show with just the, the price of, of Coke at races now. And, and, and yeah, Rowan, it's, it's interesting. And, and it, it, it's almost getting to the point where, I mean, I mentioned it too, that the, the, the race organizers put these races on to make money, to raise funds for these running clubs, much needed funds too. Uh, and and they literally going backwards year after year. So what happens is they, they they need to try and make money, so they cut costs and and they're not sure how many people are coming, so they only order a thousand medals and hey maybe fifteen hundred people arrive, so five hundred don't get medals, and then they're cutting because they they don't want to order too much water in case they sit with too much at the end of it, and then they run out of water because too many people arrived. And I think it goes back to that pre-entry thing. Rowan, what's your take on, on, on making races pre-entry exclusively? I mean, we've had some of the suggestions, and I can't find the email. I've been trying to find it. 
Uh, I can't remember who sent it to me, but I think it's a great, great uh, sort of uh, idea. And it, it's come from races overseas where it's pre-entry. They have a couple of late entries on the day. But if you enter right at the beginning, they have like different time limits from when you enter. So say in the first two weeks, it's going to cost you 100 bucks to enter the race. In the second two weeks of that pre-entry, it's going to cost you 200 bucks. So as it gets closer to the cutoff date for pre-entries, the price goes up. And then on race day, if you were too late and, or you're too lazy to pre-enter, whatever it was, you can get a late entry, but there's only, say, 500 or, or 200 of those, and they're like three, four, five times the price of the pre-entries. So it just incentivizes people to pre-enter, not only pre-enter, but pre-enter early, so that the race organizers know exactly who's coming on race day. Very good call there, Brandon. Yes, uh, I, I concur with you 100% on that. I think it's... Uh I always sum it up by saying that runners actually need to get their housekeeping in order. Um, I'm a runner myself. Uh, I said I've run two Oceans Ultra 18 times, Comrades 15 times. So I know what it's like that side from And the reason I say that is that it's less, less stressful for you on race day. Effectively, do your pre-entry. All you've got to do is arrive on race day, get out of your car, and then go to the start. As simple as that. Hopefully you've done your toileting and ablutions and everything at home or whatever the case may be. So you arrive at the, the start a lot more relaxed. You have a better race. It, uh, it takes the pressure off the race organisers as well, and as you mentioned, because they're able to budget a lot better uh, from the point of view of with coke, medals, whatever the case may be. So uh, pre-entry is definitely the way to go, and I think uh, also what you just touched on last week is pre-entry is for the time, race timing, or an electronic timing system will only work if a race is strictly pre-entry. It's as simple as that. And the reason being because of the capturing of the data, which you chatted about in last week's show. I don't think we need to go back there again. So race timing, uh, electronic race timing will only work in a pre-entry race. Um, otherwise, it will have to be manual timing on the day. And, uh, from, and, and I think it's just really a mind shift or mindset change of all the runners out there. And it can be done. Shift your, your mindset towards pre-entries. And it'll make life a lot easier for everybody, yourself as a participant and as the as the event organizer. And then what you could in a in a transition phase where you take a race from entries on the day to pre-entries only. Yes, you can always have a knock of uh, of numbers one year. And I mean, I go back all the years when the Wally Hayward Marathon did that. They were always pre-entries and then, uh, always enter on the day, and then they went to pre-entries. And it took a knock, and there was a few unhappy folk for one year. But then everybody was in that, um, you know, in that that routine, and uh, then it was not a problem. Everybody knew, ah, Wally Hayward's coming up. We need to pre-enter. Now the the Lloyd Pretoria Marathon's going that route this year for the first time as well. Now they're not going to take entries on the day, and and it all comes down to the race organisers need to advertise it very well so that people are aware of it. And then potentially what they've been doing with some of the races down here in Cape Town, Brad, is that where they've gone that route, they don't advertise it, but naturally not everybody will. Um, adhere to it so they do end up taking entries on the day but only for the people that have arrived uh, and then they were genuinely not aware now you could go on and say oh, okay i wasn't aware of it yes or no whatever but you can see it in the numbers so make that facility available in one year while you're doing the transition from an entry on the day to pre-entries only uh, and uh, then it's less of a knock for the, the race organizers one and then two obviously for the runner who does arrive they're genuinely not knowing about it so Again, really just comes down to a mind shift change and attitude of runners. And I believe we can do it because we've got everybody does it for pre-entry races like Discam, Two Oceans, Comrades. So 
that's not as though it's a new thing. But just carry it over. Yeah, I, I, I'm. I agree with you 100 percent there. It is definitely it's a mind shift thing. But but in saying, I mean, you're talking about the pre entries makes it so much easier. It's then up to the race organisers to make sure on race day when the guys are picking up their numbers or, or race packs and that sort of thing that that system's efficient. I mean, I I was chatting to someone uh, last night actually who ran, and it's this again is not knocking. I don't want to knock running clubs, but it needs to be spoken about at the Johnson Crane on 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 the weekend in Johannesburg. It's a half marathon and a 42 uh she pre-entered everything was sorted t-shirt was was ordered uh, it was part of the pack she arrived there uh and the queue for the pre-entries to pick up the packs was ridiculously long uh i've, I've heard from people who got the wrong numbers in their pack in the end she went and stood at the queue for entries on the day because there was no queue there and got in and out so she didn't even pick up her race pack so she's paid twice for two entries because that system wasn't efficient. So that yeah. needs to be done from a, a race organizer's perspective too. Very much so, Brad. And I think that just comes back to what I touched on earlier. Is it's just a good old thing called ATD, attention to detail. Yeah. You know, you touched on last week's race. That they didn't have money for change. They didn't have pens. They didn't have pins. Those are all basics that you should, uh, and any race organizer, just ensure that you have enough of those. But regarding like now your, your the story you just recounted now, Again, attention to detail, just ensure that you've got enough club members uh, at the pre-entry tent, as in all other tents. Now, most clubs are, are you know, well, I mean, I know Benone, I think it's Benoni Harriers or Benoni Northerns. I'm not sure which one organizes that race. Um, but they've got enough members that can do that. So, again, yeah, just attention to detail, trying to spread the load amongst yourselves a bit uh, and then ensure that uh, it, it runs smoothly. It's not difficult, Brad. It's just a, a question of people taking ownership, accountability, responsibility. And when I say people, that's either the club chairman or the the, the, the person on the committee who's vested with the organization of the race, uh, simple as that, and then uh, that everybody's happy uh, from that point of view. Yeah, Aaron, it is. It's, uh, I mean, it's, there's, everyone's to blame in this. There's, there's not one person who's, who's more to blame than the other. I think it's everyone just really needs to, to realize that the sport that we're in, and like you say, it's not in, in dire situation. It's, it's still in good shape. If you look at the numbers of people that are running, it's growing. Uh, it's healthy. But in order for it to keep on growing like that, we need to put out good, good products, good races, and, and everyone's to blame. I mean, the runners, you don't need to be running three races a week. Uh, the price has to go up. If it's going to be sustainable, you need to pay more for races. I mean, I just got off of doing Ironman 70.3 in East London. We mentioned at the top of the show the entry fee for that race alone. That's before I've paid for accommodation, transport to get down there, food, uh, whatever around the race. Just the entry fee was one thousand eight hundred bucks. So wow. that yeah. that puts it into a bit of perspective. Was it a great race? Was it well organized? Absolutely. Will I go do it again because of that? Absolutely. So we've just got to put things in perspective and as runners we need to realize that we are shortchanging ourselves if we expect goodie bags socks this that metal coke water at all the tables if we're only paying 50 bucks for a 10k uh, I absolutely, mean it's, it's, absolutely. It's, 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 and brad maybe just one last thing i'd like to touch on i think it's very important um that the race organizers runners everyone out I, I understand that too and that is the Event and Recreation Act of 2010 that was passed by Parliament. Now, that all started way back when is when they had that Women's Day rally on the lawns of the Union buildings and the whole structure collapsed and the lady got paralyzed. So I think it's something that um, organizers need to be more aware of, that the local authorities are starting to slowly but surely in, enforce that and implement it a lot more. So what that means is you've got to appoint safety officers to your event and all that sort of thing. So... Sometimes while you do work with municipalities and you feel that, you know, the cops don't pitch up on the morning or whatever, and it can be frustrating, clubs, organizers, be aware that this is going to start coming, creeping in more and more into your events. And 
basically what it means is that the South African Police Service is the overall has the is the highest authority and has a main say on any event that's organised. And if there's any let's for one can say there's any potential risk around the race, they have the authority to cancel the race there and then. So I think just organisers and runners out there be aware of that. Event and Recreation Act of October 2010 is going to become more of a factor as we move on for the sport. Now, I think uh, certainly in terms of the uh, chat and debate, you've covered all the, the points uh, and the, the, the important ones that I wanted to touch on. So uh, I think, uh, again, just to reiterate, the important thing is we've got a great sport. We've got a great foundation of people. I don't think it's really in case of uh, anyone to blame from uh, that sort of crowd. It's just a question that we all need to uh, shoulder responsibility, acknowledge that they're that there can be shortcomings, but if we all work together like all things, and nothing is uh, insurmountable, and as I said, it's certainly not doom and gloom. We've got an amazing sport out there. Keep the passion up, everybody. Enjoy the running. That's uh, one of the best things that you can do. Rowan, James, thank you so much for your time on Run Talk SA this week. Really appreciate it, and yeah, we'll definitely catch up soon. My pleasure. All the best. And that about wraps things up for Run Talk SA this week. Uh, we did get a couple of really cool, z- uh, cool emails in this week, Parky, with regards to that chat we had last week. And, and I think we might get a few after this week's show as well. But some really cool suggestions. That's what I love about chatting about things like this. People come up with, with different ideas. And, and one of the emails we got in was talking about an entry system that works on pre-entries. But the longer you take to enter, the price increases. The, the guy was saying he runs a lot of races overseas. And that's how it works in a lot of overseas events. And I think that's fantastic. So if the first two weeks of pre-entries, let's say for argument's sake, the entry is 100 bucks, the last two weeks it's 150 bucks, and then they do a couple of late entries, but that's like three times the price. So if you want a late entry, it's going to cost you three, 400 rand on race day. So it just incentivizes people to enter early. Absolutely. Um, and, and I'm sure that there's going to become more and more um, well-organized races as we go forward because it does make it easier for everyone, for sponsor, for organizer, uh, and, of course, it's a win-win for the runners as well. Um, it's been great having uh, you guys listening to us this week. If you've got any comments, any thoughts, please get across to our website. It's very easy, www.runtalksa.co.za. Also, you can email us. It's podcast at runtalksa.co.za. And we've got Twitter handles and Facebook and Brad will tell you all about that. Yeah, the Twitter handle, you can follow us at RunTalkSA. You can also find us on Facebook. Just go to facebook.com forward slash RunTalkSA. And if I could ask you a favor once again, if you haven't done it yet, please just take a couple of moments and leave us a star rating and a review on iTunes. We'd really appreciate that. We're also, if you're on the Android platform, we're on SoundCloud as well as Stitcher. So you can leave reviews and ratings there as well. We really do appreciate it. And by doing that, it helps other people discover this podcast. And we can spread our love for, for road running around the country. Parky from myself, Brad Brown. It's been awesome as always. We'll catch up again next week. Cheers, Brad. Have a good running week, and uh, we'll speak to you next week.